All right, tonight we are on Galatians. We're finishing chapter 1, and so the book of Galatians chapter 1. And you'll remember, this is a lengthy section, and so we're breaking this thing down. Uh, we've done five sections, <clears throat> verses 11 through 24, and we're on the fifth section. But the section actually runs from one, chapter 1, verse 11, through chapter 2, verse 10. And all this is uh, biographical of Paul's position and his life and how he came to this gospel. And he's using all this in confrontation to the troublemakers who are causing trouble to these new converts in Galatia. But our text tonight <clears throat> reads this way. We're on 21 through 24. He says, then, but by the way, you see the word then in verse 18, verse 21, and then in chapter 2, verse 1. He's given an accurate step-by-step relation of his biography of what he did, where he's been, and how he received this gospel from God. So he's, he's tracking this out where he can be open and honest before his hearers. Verse 21, then, so after the things that happened last week, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. They didn't glorify Paul because of God. He got the order right. And so what happened in his life brought glory to God, and they're praising God for what God did. So as we're in the middle of this autobiography of Paul, he's laying out this case of being, I'm an authentic preacher of the gospel. That's the case that he's laying out. He's received the gospel from God, not from men, not even from other apostles. Yeah, I saw Cephas for 15 days and I crossed paths with James, his brother, but certainly I didn't spend enough time there to get the gospel from them. This gospel that he's defending is a gospel of all grace. It's all grace from God. And uh, it can take, this gospel of grace can take the most hardened rebel and God-hater and make him a lover of the gospel. Paul's saying, I'm a, a demonstration of that, if you will. And so this gospel makes a new creation, if you will. Uh, a new creation that, that is made in such a way that does not come about by any work, any self-reformation, any, well, I stopped doing this and I stopped doing this and I'm a better person. No, 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 no. The gospel of grace takes you and totally changes your nature inside out, makes you a new man. Your memory verse next month will say, the old has passed away. Everything's new now in Christ. You're created brand new. And it's solely by the grace of God. Now, this gospel, uh, saves by grace, is the same gospel that compels a new convert to make Christ known. So this gospel of grace that saves someone, it then produces someone who wants to then make Christ known in some capacity. So we've seen this in the Bible, some of my preaching and just others from things that you've read in the Bible. But think, in the, John chapter 4 and the woman at, uh, of Samaria at the well. 
she's converted by the grace of Christ, but what's the immediate conclusion? She wants to go back to the city and make known that she met this man. Or you can think about someone in Acts 16 by the name of Lydia who's converted. And she, as soon as she's converted, she wants her whole household to know the gospel. And a whole household ends up getting baptized. They all hear the gospel through that ministry there. And then also, uh, you remember uh, in the gospels, uh, Matthew, well, no, in Mark and Luke, I believe it is. But you, you see Jesus there with that man who's out in the tombs. He's cutting himself. He's breaking chains. And this guy's demon-possessing. His name's Legion because his demons are many. And you remember Jesus kicks all these demons out, sets the man free. He's sitting there clothed in his right mind. I mean, everybody's impacted. And he's like, I'm going to go with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Why don't you just go back and tell your family? Go back and tell those around you. And so the immediate response of his conversion was to go to his own people and make Christ known. The text in Luke actually says, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city. Sometimes we miss that line. Not just the people he knew. He's proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now you catch the connection there, I'm sure. Jesus says, declare how much God has done, and he proclaims what Jesus has done. Is there equality there in deity? And then tonight, again, we see this same concept in the Apostle Paul. He's converted, and then you saw in Acts 9, he immediately begins to preach in the synagogue. And and then now, here, as he's recounting his autobiography in verse 21, then, after this time, he preaches at Damascus. He has 15 days with Cephas. He crosses path with James, the Lord's brother. And, and then, in verse 21, and after that little short episode, I went north. It's just like, all of a sudden, I'm out of here. And so this new convert is immediately going north into a new region to make Christ known. Now, let's give you a couple of texts to remind you. Acts 9.30 is significant. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea, and they send him off to a place called Tarsus. Tarsus, in these regions of Syria and Cilicia, you go out there. He didn't stay and learn from them. He goes out into this region of Tarsus. And then in Acts 22, Acts 22, verses 17 through 21. He says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. I saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly. They're not going to accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you out. And so Paul begins to make his journey north uh, towards Caesarea, from there to his hometown of Tarsus and the chief city of Tarsus being Cilicia. And so that, the Tarsus being the chief city there in Cilicia. So what is the point? Why is Paul recounting this biographical information? Again, not to overdo it, just I've got to bring out the clarity. 
He's establishing that he went so far away from Jerusalem, he could not have possibly concocted or got his gospel from the apostles or from any men there in Jerusalem. The gospel that Paul has, make the connection, he loves the people of Galatia, they've been converted, they're new converts, he is reminding them. It's, it's more than attacking the troublemakers, it's a clarity to the new converts. We are dealing with God's gospel. We're not dealing with my gospel or Peter's gospel or any of the apostles' gospel in the sense like it was their invention. What we're dealing with here is God's gospel. He's the giver of it. It's the gospel you received by grace. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. Now, a couple of things of application just on that one verse I wanted to make. Um, It would be good. I don't want to make more than what's of the text. I just know that when Paul was converted, he took the gospel somewhere. I just want to remind you, it'd be good for us if we would take the gospel anywhere. If we would do something with it. Hey, each one of us. I have a professor way back long ago, and I think he's still alive. I'm not absolutely positive, but I think he is, but he must be really old now. He was old back in 1996. But he, he, he was preaching in a church. He preached in a lot of churches once, and uh, his, his tactics weren't that great. But I remember he preached in this church, and he took a rock, and he painted or had a Sharpie-type thing, and he put John 3.16 on this rock. And so he's preaching. He holds up this rock, and he said, if you people would take this rock that has John 3.16 on it and throw it out in that field, you would have done more evangelism in that one act than you have in the history of your church. Yeah, so he preached there once, and that was it. But, but in, a, in, in, in some ways, it was true. They never did anything with the gospel. God forbid that we at By the Word Baptist Church would be a people with gospel preaching, gospel teaching, and no gospel deliverers. That's, I mean, we've got to do something with the gospel. And I don't know why there's this crazy notion, just because a couple of guys around here might be crazy enough to go out on the streets and preach, that that's the only means of gospel production. That's just one of the things that's done with the gospel. There's countless ways to make the gospel known. Not everybody's a preacher. It's not made that way. Not everybody has a voice for preaching. Not everybody has a communication. They're not an orator. But that doesn't mean you can't do gospel ministry. Every Christian in the world can do gospel ministry. I just give you a couple. There's no rhyme or reason or order to these. But you could talk to another person one-on-one. You say, I just, I'm not comfortable with that. Don't lie to me. You don't have any problems talking about the weather. Hey, you think it's going to rain tomorrow? You will say that to a complete stranger. You, hey, how, what, you, don't you think it's cold? Why can't you say a word about the Savior one-on-one? You know what the Lord did for me? Why can't you say that? We can communicate one-on-one about what's dear to heart. You, you can say tomorrow, you know, yesterday I was at church and I heard that Jesus called people to himself and that they didn't choose him, he chose them. And I heard at church that we're appointed for a ministry. You can say that. It's a free country. You can say that to another person, one-on-one, just in a conversational manner. 
you could make a phone call. We like our phones. We gloat over our phones. We get new phones. We play on our phones. We got apps on our phones. We download on our phones. Here's an idea. Why not send a text message with the gospel? You ever got one of those deals that say, hey, you know, we're trying to buy a house. Send back. Repent and believe in Jesus. You can do that. Well, I mean, what are they going to do? It's your phone. Send a message. Send something of gospel significance. You answer the phone. You can do these things. Uh, Brother John's praying about it. He may say something about it later. But you could write a letter. You could write one. You could take it out with a pen. They used to make these things. We got these. They got pens and they got paper. You could write a, a letter. You could write somebody's name down and you could say, I've been praying for you this week, and I've been very concerned about you. I know you don't ever go to church. You don't have anything to do with the Lord and stuff. And I just want you to know that Jesus is merciful and kind. And if you'll repent and believe in him, you can have everlasting life. I would love to talk to you about that. Sign, J.R. Easter. And you can just mail it to him. You can do that. You don't have to stand in front of Walmart and preach. You can write a letter, and you can send it to your cousin. You can send it to your grandma. You can send it to your neighbor. You can send a handwritten letter. It might shock them because they hadn't got a handwritten letter in the last decade. You might read it. Obviously, you can pass out a gospel track. You can, you can go with Cody on Friday nights and Jeff on Friday nights. You can go on Saturday to the abortion clinic. Here's what they, people say. Boy, there's not very many people in church. Stop it. If you're concerned about the attendance of this church, then bring someone with you and there'll be more people here. Oh, there's not very many people. That's your fault. If you want to look at it that way, because if you brought somebody, there'd be one more person here. And if there's 40 families here and every family bought one, then we'd have 80 more, we'd have 80 people here. At least mathematically and logically it works out. So the impetus is upon us. Go somewhere with the gospel. Do something with it. Paint it on a rock and throw it in a field. All right. Verse 22. Uh, the first one was mission. This is, I say, marginal. Uh, I'm working with the letter M, obviously. But uh, very short here. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. An interesting Greek word here, agnoeo, which means to be ignorant, to ignore be ignorant of some information, to be uninformed about, not to, not to know, to be ignorant of. They were ignorant of who Paul was. They didn't have understanding. They didn't get it. There's rumors floating around, but they're really ignorant of who he is. They don't understand Paul. Many of them, they knew something about him, but the information they got and the dots they connected brought them to a point of being afraid of him. Now, that was the general conclusion uh, uh, for them, uh, is to be afraid of him. Why? Well, because, you know, he killed a lot of people, locked up a lot of people, and so fear kind of was associated with his name. Now, again, this is ongoing proof that he is not hanging out with the apostles or with the local churches after his conversion. Those people don't even understand him. They're ignorant of who he is. He got converted, he preached at Damascus, and next thing I know, he's gone. So they're ignorant of who he is. Now, this same word uh, for ignorance, or the world's, is also used for the world's lack of knowledge concerning Christians. Okay, so just to take it from a different slant now. Now, a text will tell us the world is ignorant of us. 
So that one is found in 2 Corinthians 6. Now you could read through the passage, it's 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 13. But as he's given the description of Christians in that passage, in verse 9 he says, Christians as unknown, as unknown, and yet well-known. Unknown by the world, but well-known by heaven, right? As dying, but behold we live. Physical bodies are wearing out, but we're very much alive, and we're alive unto eternity. As punished, but not yet killed. But in that passage, it is a truth that the world is ignorant of us. Now, I don't want to glaze over that too fast, and I don't want to make more of it than what it is. But in a very real sense, there's a truth here that we're reminded of. There's so many churches that try every desperate measure to make the world feel comfortable in here. Do everything we can to make everybody feel welcome. If I see one more church sign that says, come as you are, I'm going to vomit. How am I going to come as something I'm not? But I get the point behind it. But look, the, the church is not established to make the world feel comfortable. You say, man, when they come in here, they're going to be uncomfortable. Rightly so, they're ignorant of who we are. They don't understand why we sing like we sing. They don't understand why we're reading through the book of Numbers. Like, these people are wacky. I don't even know what they're reading. It's like, these people are weird because they don't know us. There's a different group. There's people of the world and there's people of Christ. We can't be in this harmonious relationship where everything gets along and we're all on the same page. We're not on the same page. Some of us are going to heaven and some people are going to hell. So we need to be aware of that. It's, it's all right that the world doesn't understand you. They're never going to understand you unless they get a new heart and a right spirit. They're never going to understand. The world doesn't know us. They remain ignorant of what we do and who we are. They've come to their own conclusions about you. Right? The world speaks about the church. They say this, they say that. They've, the world that says, I can't judge, has spent their time judging the church and concluding these things about the church. They're more guilty of judgment than we are. And it's because of their ignorance. Just a couple of points of application on verse 22. Whether the world knows us or not should not deviate us from living godly in the present world where people can at least get some form of a picture of what Christianity actually is. And the world not knowing us is one thing, but not knowing Christ is an eternal tragedy. That's the thing that is so alarming, is not knowing Christ. And now lastly, marvel at verses 23 and 24. So I'll remind you of the text there, verse 23 They were only hearing it said. This is what they heard, quote, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, end of quote, and they glorified God because of me. The rippling effects of a life. So you go out to a little pool of water, you fishermen know, you go out early in the morning and there's not a ripple on the water. It's smooth as glass, we like to say. Take the anchor out of the boat, pick it up, throw it overboard, and let it hit in the water. Makes a big splash. 
After the splash is gone, what do you have? Ripples, little waves, and they start spreading. It starts out like this. It's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it goes all the way to shore. It covers the whole body of water. That's the way the rippling effect does. That's what has happened with the Apostle Paul. He's jumped off in the middle of the world as a Christian. He's splashed in, and it's having these effects that are going out. People all around are hearing about that guy. So the ripples from his impact are making a reputation. Paul's gospel ministry is reverberating through the known world. People are continually hearing about him. Let me quickly give you my old Dale Earnhardt theology. I don't know whether he's a Christian or not, but nevertheless, it's a good point of theology if applied rightly. Dale Earnhardt was a NASCAR driver back in the day. He crashed at Daytona and died. And, uh, but one of the things he said is on TV when you watch, you watch the races. But before the races start, before they put it on TV, there's driver introduction. And so they have a car come out, and they drive by, and they say, this is Joe Bob, and he drives for this whatever, and, and he goes by. And then and this guy comes out, and this guy comes out, and then a guy comes out, and everybody boos. Boo! And another guy comes out, and everybody cheers. Yeah! And then another come, guy comes out, just silence. You don't want silence for an introduction. That means you've done nothing, and nobody cares. But if they're all booing, you got on their nerves. If they're all cheering, they think you're a hero, but you've had an effect in your driving ability. Now you take that into theology and you take that into Christianity. I don't want to live a Christian life that has no effect. They never talk about that church. They never say nothing about that preacher. They never say nothing about those Christians. They don't even know people go into that church. That's bad that the whole world doesn't know you exist. That's terrible. I want all of the world, you, you may not even know this, we didn't make a big deal of it, but the other night they come and they paint graffiti all over the back of the church. I mean, I was like, man, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. What do you mean, yeah, I know? We got somebody mad, mad enough to get up in the middle of the night, Wednesday night after church, and come up here and spray graffiti on the back of the church. At least we got somebody's attention. Right? You you just go buy the stuff and you get a deacon come up here and they take it all off and nobody knows and nobody sees nothing. Yep, but we stirred somebody up. Or there's a conversation. Or, you know, there was a guy, there was a a lake running Azel and some guy preached and people got mad. Some preacher was really mad and stomped off and everybody was all talking about it. Good. At least somebody knows something's going on. Right? You know, you, as a Christian on your job, it, does your life make somebody just a tad bit uncomfortable? Don't say that around her. Don't say that around him. They're Christian. They won't participate in that conversation. What a blessed thought that you work in a cubicle office with 500 people and they have never yet invited you to a party. And they don't invite, well, don't invite him. You know he ain't coming. You've made a stir by your life. And so I love that about Paul. There's ripple effects that are going out. The report they heard is the one who once persecuted us, who was persecuting, uh, dioko is the verb, to harass someone, especially because of beliefs. The specific reason that Saul was harassing them was because of what they believed. And now I'm supposed to believe that he's preaching the faith that he was attempting to destroy. The church at large knows Paul's track record. Remember Acts 9.26. 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid. They were afraid of him, for they did not believe. They, they're questioning, here's a good one, they're questioning his conversion. They didn't believe he was a disciple. Oh, they're questioning my conversion. I ain't never going around those people again. I had a guy tell me that this week in Azel. Yeah, when, when I went to get baptized, they took me off in a room, and they asked me all these questions to be sure that I knew what I was doing. I was like, praise the Lord. And I never went back again is what he told me, and he still hadn't gone back to this day. But here's Paul not believing. They're not believing his conversion. Does it make him abandon the faith? No, he's been converted. You can think whatever you want to think. He's all in. And that's the reality of Christianity, all in. Now he's proclaiming the good news, and I don't want you to miss the point. Proclaiming the good news, the faith which he once tried to destroy. Now the word for preach here is euangelizo, uh, to proclaim good news. Mostly very specific, to proclaim a divine message or the divine message of salvation. Proclaim the gospel. So the, the subject, Paul, is very much involved in this activity of proclaiming good news. What good news is he proclaiming? The good news that he's proclaiming has to do with the faith. Proclaiming the good news, dash, the faith he once tried to destroy. Now, this word destroy, we've seen this before, to attack and cause complete destruction, to pillage, to make havoc of, to destroy or to annihilate. Go back to Galatians 1 verse 13. You have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I, there's the word, persecuted, no, not Yes, persecuted the church of God violently, and then our word here, tried to destroy it. Tried to destroy it. And I brought out in verse 13 the tense of the verb being an, uh, an imperative. Not, uh, not an imperative, uh, being an imperfect. An imperfect means what? An activity was started, but it wasn't completed. Paul started the destruction of the church. He just never completed it. So here... We have the same thing in this verse. He who is persecuting us is now preaching the faith. What faith? That faith that he once tried to destroy and never accomplished the feat of destroying it. Why is this significant? Why? The gospel has always been believed is the very gospel that Paul attempted to destroy. Now it's the very gospel that he preaches. Not, Paul is saying, nothing has changed. I didn't get my gospel from man. I didn't change my gospel. I don't have a new gospel. As a matter of fact, the very gospel that I spent my life trying to destroy, because there's only one, the faith, the gospel, that one that I'm trying to destroy, that same message is the same one I'm still preaching, because there's not another one. I don't care if an angel comes from heaven and tells you something different. He's lying. I don't care who preaches it. There is only one gospel. You want to get me stirred up, man. These things aggravate me. But, and I don't know why. Because I, maybe because I love the gospel. 
but I was in a conversation this week, and he said, well, how were the people in the Old Testament saved? I'm like, here we go. I said, you know what Galatians says, there's only one gospel, right? Yeah, I know, but how did they get saved in the Old Testament? You've been in church for 60 years and you're asking me this question? I don't understand why you're asking me this question. There's only one way to be converted. It's all grace. You must repent of your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, but he hadn't come yet in the Old Testament. Have you ever read Psalm 22? Have you ever read Isaiah 53? Have you ever read your Bible? You read through the Old Testament. Who do you think they're talking about when Jesus comes and he's in Luke and he says, and he quotes Isaiah and he says, these scriptures have been filled today in your very presence. He's taking Isaiah and saying, they're testifying of me. I mean, what do you think happened when this guy's in hell and he's wanting his brothers to hear the gospel? And he says, look, they've got Moses, they've got the law, they've got the prophets. What do you mean? They have the gospel. Read the first five books of the Old Testament and you might learn the gospel. How do you think Abraham was saved? God preached the gospel to him. It's like, where did we lose our minds at? The gospel is the same in Genesis 1-1 as it is in Revelation 22 and the same as it is today. There's no other gospel. But you'll become a heretic when you start getting Jews to heaven by bypassing the cross. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to come up with two ways of conversion. Then you come up with some weird rapture theory and come up with some other way to be saved after the rapture. No, unless you believe this gospel, you're going to hell. That's, it's the very gospel Paul says, I was trying to destroy. That's the gospel that saved me. It's the only one that exists. Paul does not have a new gospel from men, but an eternal gospel that he preaches to the world. And what a great response in verse 24 as he unfolds this. He's testifying also, they glorified God because of me. Now I won't go back through the deals, but we remember his life. We looked at these as we went through all the things of his rebellious, heathenous life. But this radical change. I mean, what are people going to do? But like, wow, God is awesome. Right? You know, I grew up in, a, in an evangelical world where we waited once a year for revival, and so we got to have the evangelists come through. It's the same quacky thing every time. You get the worst deadbeat guy that was in the bar and did drugs half his life, and then he comes in and he shares the gospel about how he got saved. And what it produced in me over the years is like, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. Man, if I want to be evangelist, what I need to do is first learn how to be a drunk. And then I need to learn how to be a drug addict. And then I need to get caught in prostitution. And then if I come out of it, I can have a hook. And I can make me a banner. And I can have a preaching gig all over the world, right? This is the way it was done so many times. Here, here's my powerful testimony. I was raised in a Christian, non-Christian home. I went to Sunday school as a little kid. And in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher told me the gospel. If I didn't repent, I was going to go to hell. It bothered me, broke me down. I came to repentance. I believed in Jesus. And Jesus saved me. And I never became a drunk. And I never got on drugs. And I never went into prostitution. I never have this bad, long story. I have a gospel that preserved me from that. It's a great gospel. What a, you want to see that in this church. You want to see all these little kids. You know, Ronnie's got four little boys. Cody's got two little kids. got all these kids. Don't you want to see them under the gospel experiencing conversion that prevents them from a life of debauchery? That's a powerful testimony. You don't have to be drunk or a drug addict to have a powerful testimony. All you got to do is be dead. 
and have the gospel of God by grace bring you to life. And then you could just say, once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Praise be to God. And they say, wow, God saved him? Amen. Well, other scriptures on this same thought of this last verse, Matthew 5, 16. It ought to be true of us, not just of Paul. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who's in heaven. 1 Peter 2, 12, 1 Peter 2, 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, remember because they're ignorant and don't understand you, but they may see your good deeds and do what? And glorify God on the day of visitation. That our life would be so lived that people would glorify God for the way in which he worked in us. Purpose to live your life in such a way that it will affect have effects and spread over the area in which you live. I mean, you're, look, you people will interact and have impacts that I will never even venture into. I don't live in your house. I don't work on your job. I don't live in your neighborhood. You must make an effect there. I can come in and preach here. I can come in and pass out a track here. Those things can happen. But oh, that they'd see you be Christian where you are, in your hood, and you'd make it known what you stand for. You'd have that ripple effect. Purpose to communicate the good news. The faith. Ask again, what faith? Let's look at Jude 1.3 in closing. Jude 1.3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the faith we're to communicate. Purpose to live in a way that the world would give glory to God for what he's done in changing your life. A group of troublemakers have infiltrated the churches of Galatia. They've sought to discredit Paul's gospel ministry. Paul has pronounced a curse on anyone who tampers with God's gospel. Paul is going out of his way to remind the churches his gospel is not from men It's not new, it is eternally old, it's the only gospel that changes his life, it's the gospel that has changed their life, the new converts of Galatia. It's the gospel of grace, everything has been perfectly accomplished by Christ, men must repent and believe in the finished work, circumcision will not help you. Believer's baptism without repentance and faith surely ain't going to help you. Good works are not needed. Money will not be accepted. Genealogy will not be considered. Racial profiles will not be analyzed. And gender will not be discussed. Young man, old man, young woman, old woman, have you repented and believed in Christ in his finished work? That's the issue. All this nonsensical stuff of critical race theory and all the hogwash they're pushing down our throat about all these races and all this stuff. Hogwash. There's one race. Deal with it. It's the human race. You've got different skin colors, but there's a human race. And this human race is going to end up in hell or heaven. And the only way it's going to be divided is by the gospel of grace. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then repent and be baptized. 
the remission of sins as a testimony to the saving power of Christ. Spend the rest of your life worshiping Him. Even if people have no clue. I looked a guy in the eye this week from Nepal who's a Hindu. And I said, God sent forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die as a substitute on the cross. And on the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. And you, sir, must repent and believe in the gospel in order to be saved. And he said, I took my son to this religious service, and we did da-da-da. And he pulls out. you got to have the phone. I pulled out his phone. He says, see, here we are. Had all their little colorful robes on, and they put the red dye on his forehead. And he said, see, we did all this. So what do you do? He didn't understand anything I said. So what do you do? The next time you go, you say it again. And you say it again. And you pray. And then one day, God may arrest him. And when he does, it'll all make sense. And that's what we do. But there's a never underestimate. When you do this, there's an effect that's happening amongst people. So... Continue on. Don't give up. Go north with the gospel. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the way in which you powerfully work to convert him, to set him free, and to ordain him to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. And Lord, we thank you tonight as well for our own selves, for it's the same gospel. You're the same God. It's the same Savior who have intervened in our life and changed us given us a new life and a new hope. God, help us this week to live out Christianity in such a way that we would make an effect upon the world in which we live in order that they would give glory to you. Thank you again, God. We love you. We pray these things tonight by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.